It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each week, we talk about topics locally, some nationally. You're going to ask me some questions that I'm probably not going to have good answers to, and uh, much, much more. Again, we're doing this remotely as we uh, try to continue plugging along week to week with the podcast, despite uh, the the best social distancing efforts. How have you done overall with social distancing, Rick? I hate to say this because it feels like uh, sort of almost inappropriate to say during these times when you know people are suffering and everyone's unhappy and people are dealing with mental issues because they're locked inside their house. But for me, it's not that bad. Like I told you last week, I'm eating well, getting multiple breakfasts, which normally not a breakfast guy. Um, being able to work from home, given what we do, everything's online. So that is that has been an easy transition and actually kind of a nice transition that I don't have to go in somewhere overnight anymore. Um, it's going well. I, I got to be honest. Everything is uh, pretty solid over here. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Um, I, you know, I, I took a, v- a week of vacation this week. I got a chance to to get my yard kind of in order. I've got about another day's worth of work to finish that. I've gotten into a nice routine where get do a bunch of busy work during the day, and if not when I'm working, do some work during the day, and then kind of roll around about Flintstones time, watch a little Flintstones, make a cocktail or two, have some dinner, watch a show, and night night start again. It's I, I'm I'm adjusting. Flintstones and cocktails. Like our forefathers imagined it. No, no, no question. There's no question. I, I'm guessing that our forefathers, probably as they watched the Flintstones, had a cocktail. So there you go. It's a, it, it's it's a win for everybody. <laughs> I did. I was listening to Barstool Radio, and they brought up the point yesterday of like, could you have imagined living in the 40s or 50s where you come home from work and you do nothing? Like there's there is no TV. There is no right. right. None of the stuff that we have. <laughs> Right, I, I know. I it is so weird for me because, as you know, I co- I coach and and you you go cover games on a, on a nightly basis. A lot of times, I, I swear, I think I think my first night of not doing anything, either broadcasting a game because I broadcast high school games and I coach high school basketball, between and practice between all of those things, I truly think March the fifteenth might have been the first night since. Whew, Last March that I didn't have anything to do. I mean, it, it is. It's weird. It, it's it's really weird in that regard. But I'm kind of getting used to it a little bit. Yeah, it's it's uh, not the worst change of pace. Obviously, I wish it was under different circumstances. Sure, but of course. As long as we're all staying healthy um, and isolating to the best of our ability, that's all we can do right now. No doubt. Right, before we get into the podcast, I got to tell you, I'm two episodes deep into into uh, into Tiger King. Oh, you jumped in, huh? You made the I plunge. Did, I, ju- I, ju- I, ju- I did make the plunge. So next week, I uh, guess we can talk about that a little bit. Yes, uh, I I will probably we were, we were trying to do a show a night. We we skipped last night because of some other things. But uh, congrats. Yeah, I, I think by next by the end of next week, I'll have it down. In fact, I had a buddy of mine who who listened to our podcast, Joe Speed, who's a baseball agent. And uh, uh, Joe said he had to turn us off when we started talking about Tiger King. He said, I love your podcast, was listening to it, but when you guys talked about it, I didn't, I didn't want to spoil it for me. So <laughs> I guess uh, we, we shouldn't have tried to spoil it for people. But I think well, if you really – I don't you think really, we did because you I, hadn't seen it yet. So I just correct. basically said yeah, he, I, I gave my sort of overall thoughts but didn't talk anything about what happened, really. Yeah, true. And, and the other part is, I mean, now, especially here in the last week, when, when the sheriff down in Florida says he's going to reopen the case of – that great? Uh, the, of, of the husband <laughs> – husband getting fed to the tiger or not um i mean you could google a lot of, there's a lot of things out there about this program that if listen if you if you if you don't want the spoiler alert, yeah you can shut things off but it's pretty hard at this stage of the game but i, I i'm gonna watch the whole thing i they are some 
they are messed up people, the whole I, lot of them. I hope your buddy Joe stayed off the internet for the entire last two weeks if he's <laughs> yeah. been trying to avoid spoilers. <laughs> I, I don't think he did. Hopefully he got through it and, and was able to watch the yeah. whole show. Well, fortunately, it's nothing you can really spoil. It's really just kind of a car wreck that you can't yes, turn that, away from. That, you got to see it to really yes, know correct. what's going on. Correct. No, I, like I said, I was on a, on a text mail chain last week where I, I knew exactly everything that was going on, and I still ended up watching it. So yeah. there you go. Well, I mean, it's absurd. All right, let's get into our topic, Skinny. The transfer portal is picking up quickly as we expected in college basketball. Xavier added two new players and guard Nate Johnson from Gardner-Webb and Division II big man Brian Griffin. Griffin from Mercy College in NY over the weekend. Both are grad transfers who can play right away. What do you think about Xavier's newest additions? I mean, the one guy's a Division II player, average what, 19 and almost 15 a game, and that, that sounds great and lofty. And, um, you know, you saw what, what Zach Hankins did a couple years ago, but I, I think he played even at a higher level of D2 and had played against some D1 teams and had performed pretty well. And yeah, I mean, he won even he, the national even championship. He was Right, and even he was a. I don't think I, I don't think we'd call him a difference maker. I thought he was a good player and a good addition for Xavier that season. I have my doubts about this kid being a productive player. I guess Nate Johnson's obviously supposedly a shooter, but where have we heard that before, Rick? Um, I, I I know what I've seen. I know what I've heard. Um, but we we've we've heard that before, and I know you've talked about not being a, a huge a huge fan of the grad transfer situations. Well, I think you just can't rely on them. Right. I mean, the last two years, Xavier has basically needed those. Well, I mean, maybe this year it shouldn't have been the case, but the last two years they've kind of gotten these grad transfers in the offseason and been talking about them being the necessary pieces to get them to that that next level or to, to sort of fix the holes in their roster. And I just don't think that's a good situation when you're relying on a grad transfer. Now, if he's an extra piece a la Malcolm Bernard when they made their last Elite Eight run, they can be really effective. Like, as a sixth, seventh man, it can be a great piece. And now, I, I think when you look at Nate Johnson from Gardner-Webb, he's a two-guard, he's like 6'4", he's a good athlete, he was one of their their best defenders, and he is a legitimate shooter. And the one thing I really liked about him is, like, go back to Bryce Moore last year for uh, the Western Michigan transfer that Xavier got. I watched Bryce Moore's film, and... I see similarities between him and Nate Johnson for certain, but one, I think Nate Johnson's a little more fluid as an athlete, and he's not going to be dealing with the knee injury, well, at least you hope not, that uh, Bryce Moore had to deal with once he got to Xavier. But two, Bryce Moore was more of like a, if he gets the open look, he's going to knock it down most of the time. He was a really solid, wide-open, spot-up shooter. Nate Johnson is a guy that twice last year in two different games, he hit eight threes. 8 for 13 in one of the games, 8 for 14 in the other one. And in those games, there could have been NBA guys guarding him. He was still going to be making some of those shots. He was just that hot, and he was taking... I mean, they they were running double, triple teams at him, trapping him, coming off screens and everything, and they just couldn't find a way to stop him. He has that ability to kind of take over a game once he gets going. I know it's a lower level. Not everything's going to translate. I don't think he's going to be like Xavier's leading scorer or even close to it, but I do think as a six seventh man off you know first second guy off the bench he could definitely add something that they've been lacking considering they desperately needed shooting yeah now what about the big the big kid from uh from mercy i mean it is a division two program again the numbers are, are eye-popping i mean i you, you grab 15 rebounds and true was at 14.6 i'll try to be accurate there but you grab 15 rebounds a game um that's hard to do if you take that guy and popping in a high school game that, that's still hard to do that means you you have some level and knack to do that but again d2 big man to d1 major conference big man that's a little different well it's definitely different and also i think 
when you look at this kid, it's an interesting situation because he was like 290 pounds or 300 pounds, something like that, uh, when he got to college. He's trimmed down to 230, allegedly. That's what they list him at. I don't think he played at that weight based on the pictures and, and video I've seen. He, if he's that's, two, loud and love, that's loud and love-like. Yeah, if, if he's 230, then I'm you know 180, 175, and, and that's just not quite the case. And, so, and you're not. Yeah. No, no, it's not. So um, I... I've, I don't want to be too critical here because like I he has some upside for sure. He's he dunk, tries to dunk everything which I really like around the basket and he is definitely a rebounder. And one thing that always seems to translate well from level to level whether that be high school to college or low level college to high major college is rebounding. It, it just seems to be a, a skill that if you have it you can kind of do it no matter what level you play at. The reason I think he's a great rebounder is he has really long arms and really soft hands. I saw a couple of plays where he's up above the rim getting a tip in or tipping a ball away from, from an opponent, and I'm like, how is he getting that? Because he's not the most explosive guy. It's not like he's got a great vertical leap. Now, he gets off the floor kind of quickly for a big guy, but not you know not a great vertical overall. And then I started pausing the the freeze frame you know, as he's at the sort of the tight of his leap getting to the ball, and I realized... He's only got like maybe eight inches off the ground there, and yet his hand's well above the rim. He must have really long arms. And so I think that definitely helps him. I don't see him being, in an ideal situation for Xavier, I don't see him being more than their third center in the lineup. I think you you want, definitely Zach Fremantle is your starter going into the year at the five. And then you hope Deontay Miles, the redshirt freshman from Walton Verona, can be your backup big man. And um, he's definitely different than what this Brian Griffin kid is going to offer you because Miles is like seven foot skinny athletic Griffin's 240 50 pounds I would guess um and a bruiser and a rebounder so um, I think you can maybe tandem those guys a little bit if Griffin is better than you expect or he can be a guy that just kind of eats up some fouls and rebounds for you for two minutes a half I will say there, there is no doubt because I've coached guys who are who have some size that can't rebound for anything because they don't know how to get position. They don't see angles. And I've coached guys um, who are way smaller and yet they see every angle off of a miss. They're able to maybe not get the rebound, but you just mentioned with some wingspan, tip it to somebody else to keep the ball alive. And that guy doesn't get credit for the rebound. But I mean, honestly, I, I coached a kid on my AU national championship team. The, the kid probably eight to ten balls alive a game and you look and go that guy's your rebounding guy yeah because he always when a shot went up he knew where the miss was going to be he had just that knack and it's not something i coached into him he just had the knack and there are guys like that maybe this kid can do that and that can translate a little bit yeah that's kind of one of the things when we talk about feel for the game that's one of those things that i would put in that bucket when you're talking about post players that's part of having feel right like the guys that have the nose for the ball that know how it's going to come off the rim know how to position themselves that's all kind of having some feel and and i do think he has that like he you see it sometimes with those really big guys with the strong lower bodies, the strong bases. They're really good at moving people. When the shot goes up, they move guys, like push them underneath the rim or push them out of the paint with their lower body so they can keep their arms up and not get called for a push-off. But they're really just bullying a guy out of out of their spot and taking it over, and that's what he does really well. Yeah. All right, Skinny NKU has also seen action pick up as Jalen Tate, Bryant Mockaby, and Trey Cobbs have all announced that they're entering the transfer portal. Um, we'll start with Jalen Tate because that's obviously the most notable one here. Is he a sure thing to Cincinnati? And if so, what do you think his role would be for the Bearcats on next year's team? 
It, it's so funny. You and I talked about this on the podcast last week and brought him up and, and possibly entering the, the transfer portal. I think the very next day is is when he did it. I know it took a couple of my buddies by surprise, but I said it, it really shouldn't be. I'm sure it's disappointing. I get that part of it. But, I mean, you, you talked about it. if you want to test the waters at a, at a bigger level and John Brandon recruited you, it seems like a perfect fit. It, it seems like the only reason for Jalen to enter the transfer portal, Rick, would be almost because he has UC in mind and, and vice versa. Um, I know I think Xavier even got mentioned with him, and, and I guess that's a natural fit just because of them being local. But it, it almost seems like a slam dunk to UC, does it not? Yeah, well, I think the other school that would have made a lot of sense is Ohio State. You know, his yeah, dad also played dad at Ohio played State. Right. He's right. from up near that area, and his brother played at Ohio State. Right. Um, right. So, but if, from what I understand, Ohio State's just not. They've already taken a commitment this offseason. They're not in a position where they can take another one from a guy like Jalen Tate. You know, already having Seth Towns, who was one of the best grad transfers available. I don't see that being a possibility anymore. And yeah, Xavier's definitely going to reach out, see if there's anything there. Um, but now that they got Nate Johnson, I can't see that being a fit for, for either party really either. Right. Um, right. I, I think the UC just makes a ton of sense. It, it did before any of this shook out. And now that things have kind of, we see where they're at. I, I think he really just wants to play the process out, feel a little bit of the love from the recruiting process and also make sure he's making the right decision. But I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to end up with John Brandon again playing for Cincinnati. Yeah, now you talked about the point guard situation at UC, and it, and it, it, it seems to be a fairly, I guess, deep one from a number standpoint. We don't know if the pieces all fit there. But but can Jalen do he, – he can do other things, but can he be another – can he play off the ball a little bit and be a, a seventh, eighth guy sub who is a secondary creator? And maybe at times because he's in the game and, and somebody else isn't can become the primary creator. Maybe not for 25 minutes a game, but you know, 12 to 18 a game, can he give you that role? Well, I I think he can absolutely. I mean, you look at their sit, the situation at point guard right now for UC is Mike Adams Woods going into his sophomore season, and as a freshman, I, I thought he showed upside for sure. I don't know that he showed you he's ready to be a high major point guard effectively yet. I, I think he can score and add some scoring, and um, I think there again, I think he'll he has the potential to get better as a floor general. But right now, he hasn't really shown that ability to run a team. It was. Um, not quite Kiki Tandy, but similar, you know, in terms of both of those guys as freshmen showed the ability to help their teams offensively, but not necessarily play the point guard position efficiently. Um, and then they're bringing in a freshman in Mike Saunders, yeah. who people are high on. He's super quick, but he's also small and he's going to be a true freshman. So I think absolutely, especially if you're John Brandon, who, by the way, is the one who forced Jalen Tate to become a point guard. Jalen Tate was a wing when he got to NKU. Right. He, he said, look, you, you played your first year as a wing, and that was great, but we need a point guard, and you're going to be that guy because you're the best playmaker we have. So I don't think John Brandon will really have any qualms about putting the ball in Jalen Tate's hands again, but he also gives you that ability that even if he's bringing the ball up the court on offense, he can go guard a two or a three with his length for you on defense. And looking at their roster next year, they're, they're kind of getting into the more of that, you imagine they're probably going to be more sort of positionless in the way they, they use their four, right. their first four spots because um, they don't have a ton of depth at, at the in the front court, really. And we, and we assume Keith Williams comes back? Yeah, I, 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 well, I, I definitely think that's the case. He declared for the draft, but one, the fact that they're not really able to go make tryouts and things like that right now, I don't think he has the, the potential to sort of blow up here in the pre-draft process and help his 
stock, and I don't think there was enough of a draft stock for Keith Williams to make. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. I, and everybody always questions why do you do that, and and it really is just hey, go find out where you stand. It doesn't hurt anything. I mean, there's no there's no pain for it. Now there was pain back in the day if you took an agent and all that, but now there's it, it makes all the sense in the world to do it just to do it. So I right. I think people freak out when you see Keith doing that, but I get it. But I think the flip side is, does anybody really think Keith Williams is turning pro? I think you and I both think Najee Marshall's turning pro, but we don't think Keith Williams is turning pro, and that doesn't mean we think that Najee Marshall can play in the NBA. And we talked about that last week, but we both think he's gone. I don't think Keith Williams is gone. Right. And, and that's, I, that's a pr- point worth bringing up is sometimes it's not about these kids thinking they can play in the NBA. It's just a matter of them being done with college or wanting to move on from what I've seen reported and, and what I understand the situation to be. I don't think that's what Keith Williams is doing here. I think Keith Williams is just seen going through the process, finding out what he can find out and uh, preparing for a big year next year. And, and he's obviously a huge key. If they don't have him back, that roster is that roster could be in a lot of trouble all of a sudden. Yeah, suddenly then Jalen Tate's getting thirty minutes a game, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he still has to commit, but I do think it's likely that uh, Jalen Tate ends up there. But for from the NKU perspective, should NKU fans be worried about the exodus of players from the program? I, I, I'm not. I mean, Bryant Mockaby doesn't worry me. Trey Cobbs, I guess, doesn't worry me. Maybe it should. You're, again, way closer to it than I am. And I think we both, we, we talked about it openly on the podcast last week about Jalen Tate. So it's not like it shocked either one of us that he did this. Maybe it shocked us that it came the very next day after we did the podcast, but it didn't shock either one of us. So, I mean, are Mockaby and Cobbs that big of a loss? And based on what you've talked about, you got a Juco kid coming in. You had the Harge kid who, uh, who redshirted last year. I don't think I'd, I'd be, I, I don't think I'd be worried. I don't think I would be. Would you? Yeah, I think the the right answer here is no more worried than I would already have been because of losing Tyler Sharp, Dantes Walton, and Jalen Tate. You know right. I mean? like, That's three big losses. Right. I yeah. mean, they're going to definitely be in a little bit of a rebuild. They're, the coaching, the new coaching staff has to bring in their guys here. Um, but I have a lot of confidence in the guys that they've brought in so far and where they're headed with this thing. So I'm not worried at all about the exodus of players. I don't think there's some like underlying issue here. Jalen Tate was at was in the ideal situation to exercise the grad transfer rule. He is the perfect example of why they put that rule in there. He did everything you could want at NKU. He's, he led them to three postseason, uh, well, should have been three postseasons. Uh, as a player, he's going to get his degree. He's given everything to the university absolutely should get that opportunity and the other two guys they're leaving because they're not going to have a chance to play i mean that's the whole right. thing like no, right, they right. didn't Cops play last and year. yeah yeah and the, the staff has pretty much told them i would imagine that look we've kind of recruited over you and you're kind of in the same spot you were this past season so uh you know i don't know if they had the option to stay or not that's always a a conversation that coaches have with players at the end of the season, but those guys want to play somewhere and they weren't going to get that opportunity next yeah, year it, at NKU. Didn't one of them commit to somewhere already? Uh, I don't know wrong. I, I don't know. I hadn't seen yeah, okay, that. No, so yeah, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I was thinking of somewhere even smaller. The other thing I'll ask you about NKU in this regard too is, is it fair for fans to expect the program to be one of the top two teams in the horizon every single year when it's a league where you are going to build teams for a couple of year run. I, I I think it's unrealistic to think that every single year NKU is going to be in the mix to win the horizon. Could I say two out of every four years is fair to expect that? Yeah. And then maybe you get the one surprise year where you go 10 and eight in the league and, and, and somehow sneak through and win the tournament. And it's a surprise to go, but I, I just don't think it, at that level, at that mid major level at the horizon league level that you can say this team every single year is the team to beat in in league a b or c i think it's really hard to do 
that last sentence I would agree with. The rest of what you said, I'm I'm a little less certain of that. I I would tend to say the way they're trying to build this thing, the commitments they've made in some aspects. I mean, they have the best facilities in the conference. What they've done with John Brannon and Darren Horn so far in terms of their last two head coaches, I think it's reasonable for NKU fans to expect to be the class of this this conference at this point. Now, does that mean they're the team to beat every single year? No, but does it mean that they're going to be at the top with Wright State pretty much every year? Yeah, yeah pretty I, much every year, but, but I, not every And I, that's why I go back to when you lose in one group, and again, Jalen Tate, I guess you could argue, is a surprise, but we, we don't think it was. But in one year, when you lose a Dantes, Walton, Tyler Sharp, and, and, and Jalen Tate, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot, and, I, and that's going to happen on occasion. But I, look, I definitely don't expect them to be outside the top five in this conference next year. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, I, no, I agree. Yeah, and, I don't think they ever should ever expect them to be a sub-500 team in the league, barring injury. No, I, I, I'm with that. I just don't think that you can say that every single year NKU is going to be one of the top two teams in that league. Every single year. It's, it's, it's impossible. At the same time, though, if you're telling me they're the second-best team going into next year, I'm not sure I'm arguing against that. Like, I, I don't know if they have the most talent yet, but... By the end of next year, it would not surprise me if they're back in in contention for conference championship. And I doubt they win the league next year, but I bet they'll be one of the best teams when it comes conference tournament times, and, and people will be worried about them for sure. Okay, I'll give you that part. All right, sticking with college basketball here for one more topic, Skinny. HBO released The Scheme this week, a documentary that goes inside the 2017 NCAA bribery scandal that resulted in the arrest of 10 individuals. The accusations were that agents and advisors were steering promising high school players towards specific college teams where they'd be offered athletic endorsements and cash deals. In the end, only three were convicted and sentenced to jail time, the most being Christian Dawkins, who received 18 months. Dawkins is the focus of of the documentary uh, that is again on HBO. You can also find it on Amazon prime video. Uh, I think you still have to have the HBO subscription though. Skinny, what was your takeaway from HBO's the scheme? I guess for me, it's this and, and look, I, I know the NCA is fairly powerless. Obviously it's why the FBI has gotten involved and, and there's other reasons, but, but how does a university president at Kansas at, at Arizona and at LSU maintain those those head coaches. That that that's not our, don't be weak need here. Let, let, let's not pawn this off. I mean, Sean Miller comes off as extraordinarily dirty. Will Wade is extraordinarily dirty. And and I don't know think it's it's not up to the NCA to do it's up to those schools to do something about about those guys, is it not? Well I mean I may I guess that could be grounds for firing someone, right? The fact that you have the wiretap out in public and whether you can prove they did what's on the wiretap or not, maybe what's out there is bad enough for the public image that you can fire on because of that, maybe. But I'm telling you, one, these schools don't want to lose. They don't want to lose basketball games. That, 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 that's the underlying. Go, go ahead and you make your point on that because I was going to make the same point on, on, a, on a secondary level on that, but go ahead. Yeah. And, and if you fire your coach, you're putting yourself in a bad spot because, one, you're admitting to all of this stuff and yep. putting yourself in a, in a world of uncertainty, which is the, the biggest disaster when you're trying to recruit. People always ask about, well, well, what about this punishment hanging over this school or that school? Or what about the, the NCAA hit them with this? They, they're not going to be able to participate in the postseason next year. Most parents and recruits do not care about that. They can, they care about uncertainty. They care about if they don't know who your coach is, if they've never heard of the guy, or they, they don't think he's right. any good, or they don't they don't know if your coach is going to be fired or not. If you're standing by your coach and your coach is shown to be a talented coach that they know, like a Sean Miller, for instance, most of them are going to be fine with the fact that 
Sean Miller was getting some of his players some money. Most of them want that money themselves. So that's not so that's number one is that they don't want to lose. Um, the other thing is they don't want to open themselves up to lawsuits. And these coaches, to be honest, they'll have grounds for filing a lawsuit here if it comes down to it because you can't really prove that any of this happened. There is no paper trail. The FBI came up with absolutely nothing despite spending millions of dollars and two plus years on this investigation to that, me that, that's, that was the biggest takeaway is how inept and embarrassing and what an absolute circus clown show our fbi department is well that also is how the mafia works i mean the guy at the top isn't the one who gets his hands dirty he just passes down the buck and has plausible deniability all along sure. it, it goes but back the doing, other thing but if you're going to do that investigation for a mob you're usually trying to take out a mob boss not the runner for the mob yeah, take 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 out a capo or two. You maybe not get the big guy, but you get a capo or you two. Didn't and get then a the capo, capo or two. You got a fourteen year old <laughs> off the streets and Christian Dawkins who is selling some weed. Maybe we're doing well, the whole uh, analogy here. You you, you kind of work your way up to the capo, and then the capo flips on the on the on the on the crime boss, and then voila. I think the other part, what you said too, is is at the end of the day, Sean Miller and Will Wade and Bill Self and John Calipari and pick your coach Chris Mack, whomever, uh, they're not getting paid millions of dollars to go graduate players and do all the. They're, they're getting paid to do one thing. And what are they getting paid to do, Rick? Win, just win, win baby. Right, right. And, and in order to win, um, as much as there may be a coach who's better than the next guy with whatever, however you want to look at coaching, uh, you need players. And right now, the, that, that this is how the system works. If you want to stop it, then I'll tell you what, let's not pay these guys millions of dollars. Just go get a guy that he wants to coach for the love of the game, and he's a member of the PE department, and he gets 80 grand a year as opposed to $8 million a year, and you don't fire him after three losing seasons. But we know that's not realistic, and I don't know how, I don't know how the machine stops, and maybe it never stops, and maybe it shouldn't stop. I mean, the other day, if these kids get some money that needs some money, and it helps them along the way, and and while maybe maybe there is no fix for this, and maybe we've always wanted to fix that there is no fix. Well, that's the I'm... only fix to me is is university presidents say, you know what? If we really want to make this amateur sports, then we're not paying these coaches multi millions of dollars, and we're not going to care about winning, and we're going to tell the alums to go stick it, and that's not going to happen. But that's not going to happen because you know why? There is millions of dollars being pumped into the sport in terms of revenue. So teams are always going to say, well, we've got all this money. Why don't we pay a little bit more to get a good head coach? So we get a competitive edge. So you can't stop that. That's always going to be there. There is a simple solution and it's one where they really don't even have to share their profits. It is simply letting the players participate in the open market. Let them make money off. I mean, it comes up all the time and and I don't, we don't need to rehash the whole argument, but if they're allowed to make money off their likeness, likeness, then you're literally just sharing the, a little bit of earning potential. Maybe. What what about Susie that runs the 400 high hurdles? She works just as hard. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like, come on. Like, what are we doing? Like the whole, that whole argument is so simple minded and and ridiculous. I don't even want to get into. What about the libero? She works just as hard. What about Jimmy on the lacrosse? He works just as hard. And that's exactly why it has to be a a free market system where the, the people who are worth it, that, that can earn money outside of the sport. They should be allowed to do so. They don't need to get paid by the universities. They can go sign their own advertising deal. It's fewer kids than you would think. I'll be honest. Rick, the coach, Rick, Rick, the who's the backup, Rick, who's the backup left guard at Alabama? I don't know, but he probably has a better okay, getting paid than like who, the point no, no, guard in Cincinnati. But, well, but, but then here we go. Okay, who was the quarterback at Alabama last year? Tua. Right. So who do you think on the open market should get more, will get more? Tua. And rightfully so. Right. That's just the way it works. And and I have no issue with that. And, and, and look, if the... 
if there's some rich donor in Alabama with a car dealership who wants to give Mercedes to the entire offensive line, so you make sure that Alabama has the best offensive line in the world, you know what? They already do. What about Johnny? He's the number two doubles player on the number two doubles team. He works just as hard. And that's fine. If someone wants to give Johnny a car, absolutely. I'm fine. Like This is how it should be an open market system where guys can get whatever they're worth. Guys and girls alike can get whatever they're worth. I think a lot of them will be shocked to find out their value will go down on the open market compared to what they're getting from FBI agents that are trying to rig a system here. It's probably true. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears here. The Bengals are running out of time and options when it comes to Andy Dalton. The quarterback doesn't seem to be coveted enough to draw worthy trade offers, but the Bengals haven't parted ways with him yet by cutting him, which would free him to sign with teams who are interested, but not enough to give anything up. What do you think is in store for Andy Dalton's future? I think it's, like I said last week with Drake or Patrick, I mean, it didn't come as a shock that he got cut because they have to free up money and they have to free up Andy's money. They they have to free that money up. They are underwater right now with commitments financially. So they have to free that money up. I think it's, it's you wait now for the draft, either on draft days, whatever those are, if some team doesn't get its quarterback and at that point is desperate um, or right after the draft where you can, you can at that point then just determine, listen, the, 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 we, we can't, there's nobody to trade with any longer and we will have to terminate his contract. Um, and look, no team is trading for that contract either. I saw CBS Sports put a ridiculous trade of the Jaguars trading a six round. No, nobody is trading for Andy. Unless Gardner Minshew gets hurt at home as he's self-quarantined working out, they are going to sit back and wait for an Andy Dalton or a Jameis Winston or a Cam Newton to stay on the open market and then go sign them for what they want to sign them for. You're not paying Andy Dalton $17.7 million, whether it's the Bengals as him as a backup or a team that's trading for him. That's just not going to happen. Andy will be on a roster, and he will be uh, – he, he probably can even compete for a starting spot in some places, but it will be at whatever that team thinks the value is for Andy, and that's – that's that's just the bottom line. I it it, it sucks that the the market kind of dried up for Andy. And and as I mentioned, I wrote a column last week that if if they did have an offer at the trade deadline last year of anything of of decent value, mid level pick that, that could have gotten them out from underneath Andy's contract and gotten something back, and they didn't pull the trigger. Shame on them. But it, maybe they didn't have a trading. Maybe there wasn't a trading partner then, and there obviously hasn't been a trading partner now. So you've kind of have yourself backed into a corner where you just have to sign off on it and save the money. And that's, I mean, you don't have him as your plan as your quarterback anyway, so why would you keep around that guy for 17.7 mil? You're not. Yeah, I don't think there's any way that they can keep him around for that month. I think you could make a more legitimate argument that you'd keep Drake or Patrick around for for the money than you could Andy Dalton at this point. Yeah, but um, they need they need to free up both those guys. I mean, trust, no, trust no me, question. they they had to, they they have to free both that up and they may even have to free up a little bit more than that on top of it to be honest. Yeah, I think they probably will, but in terms of the Andy Dalton stuff, I mean like the thing is if you're a team that actually wants Andy Dalton right now, like if the Jaguars legitimately want them, want him, they're in a tremendous spot because no there is no competition for him on the market. The Patriots have already said they don't want him. Like, yeah, I, I, I told you, I don't believe that. I think the Patriots are in that same box. In fact, they cut Cody Kessler, so now they're back down to two quarterbacks. I think they're in that same boat of, when he hits the open market, we'll make an offer for him then, but we're not trading for 17.7 mil. Well, exactly. I mean, I guess that's my point, is that they've already cut the, the any trading leverage that the Bengals could have had out, saying we're not we're not going to try to trade for right, it at all. So right, everyone's right. in that same boat, and they've made it public. 
Um, so the Jaguars can feel really good now about just sitting and waiting for the Bengals to cut him. I think there's no question where this ends up. You said it with Dre Kirkpatrick last week, um, despite people coming out and reporting that there, there were rumors that the Bengals were going to keep him around. Uh, you said there was no way they will. And I think you're absolutely right in both cases. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think this works out for Andy in the end. He's not going to be the starter here. We've already determined we're, we're all moving on, whether it's Joe Burrow or whatever trade you make to, to to get another quarterback, and we all certainly believe it's Joe Burrow. I mean, look, his time is done here. That's all well and good. And I, I think Andy is that perfect scenario, like a Ryan Fitzpatrick for a lot of teams in this league, to say, listen, for this amount of money, we love having you as a fallback plan. We have a young quarterback. We think he's our guy. And if he falls and falters, well, we've got a guy that's won games in this league and has been in some playoff games. Games, has started playoff games, hasn't played great in playoff games, but he's been to playoff games. That's a pretty good fallback plan for a lot of teams in this league. Maybe it's a team much like New Orleans when they had Teddy Bridgewater as a backup, that if something happened to Drew Brees, we think we're good enough to win now, but we better have a backup quarterback that can win us some games if the guy gets hurt. Well, Andy can do that. So I think Andy has a lot of value. It's just not at $17.7 million. I don't think the Bengals should be in the business of doing right by their players or agreed or, or you know playing to their feelings at the same time they keep saying they want to do right by Andy they want to do right by Andy why have they not cut him yet why are they waiting to cut him well I think there's a couple of things here I, I think one again you're, you're still holding out hope that if let's just say however the draft process shakes down um, a team doesn't get the quarterback at once and it starts looking at its quarterback room and goes gosh I, I just I mean l- let's say the Chargers don't get Justin Herbert or Justin Love or whoever or Jordan Love or whoever that third level quarterback is maybe it just doesn't work out for them and the Chargers after the draft sit and go well okay yeah you know what man I we we can't go into this with Tyrod Taylor we we were kidding ourselves um let, let's go ahead and swing a deal I think the Bengals hold out hope for a deal I just don't see that deal coming so I, I think you hold out I mean there's no there's really no reason to cut him yet if you can still have a little leverage. And, and who knows? I mean, I, I guess it is possible a quarterback hurts himself while working out. Um, I know you don't want to hope for people to get hurt, but it's always a possibility. Um, I, I, you, you'll see, Andy. It, it'll come either right after the draft um, or or it'll come quickly after the draft. They, they thing is, they just don't have to do it today. Well, sure, but just quit telling us that you want to do right by Andy. You want to do right by Andy right. because it's right. coming off as really – hollow when the best thing for him would be be on the market right now and get as much opportunity to latch on with the new team as possible. So. Yeah, I'll give you that part. The Miami Dolphins are going to try and pry the Bengals' number one pick away from them. At least that's what Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald reported earlier this week. Miami has the number five and number 18 pick in the first round of this year's draft. And number 26 plus two second-round picks in addition to two first-round picks and two second-round picks in next year's draft as yep. well. What are your thoughts on the reports that the Dolphins are going to try and trade for the Bengals' number one pick? Yeah, he, he made a good point of, of number one overall picks are not the slam dunk that we all think they are. In fact, there are two quarterbacks on the open market right now who were number one picks at one point. Cam Newton, Jameis Winston. And look, Cam Newton had a great career. Jameis has not been great. It's not been horrific, but it's not been great. Jam- or Cam's was. I mean, Cam had a, has had a great career to this point. But there's a lot of a lot of first-round players, let alone quarterbacks, that don't work out. And I don't know if – I don't think Joe Burrow is a guaranteed slam-dunk great NFL quarterback. I think you see a lot of things that make you hope that he's going to be. So if I'm the Bengals and I go to Miami and Miami's desperate for that first pick and I say to them, all right, I want five, I want 18. I know I'm not going to be able to pry all three 
first rounders away from you this year, but I'm going to pry two of them away from you. And I want your first second round pick. And I want one of your first round picks next year. If you're willing to do that. Yeah, we'll go ahead and do it. Um, I know the fear would be, well, then some team jumps over you at, at five and gets to a, I'm not so sure they're not enamored a little bit with Justin Herbert as well from, from having him as, as their quarterback at the senior bowl. I don't think that's an awful fallback plan for them. Um, to me, I, I'm telling you, if you're the Bengals and you ask for the moon, and it's got to be very significant, and maybe you do ask for all three first-round picks, and without that, that's a non-starter. I just don't think, in fairness, you're going to get that, but I think you can get two this year, one next year, and at least a second-rounder this year. If you're going to give me that haul, and I'm still going to get a quarterback, and I like all three at the top, I like Burrow. Maybe I like Burrow a little more than Tua, but I like Tua a lot, and I like Herbert a lot. If I'm the Bengals, uh, speaking in, in their voice, if, if I like all three and there's not a huge separator between them and you're going to give me a haul, you know, sign me up for that. I'm going to do it. I, I I don't think that's them. I don't think that's what they I think they will hang on to that pick and, and end up j- drafting Joe. But if Miami's as desperate for that first pick as, as we're led to believe they are, you ask for the moon, shoot for the moon. And if they give you the moon, you take it and say thank you very much. I can't believe I'm about to say this. Uh, well, first of all, I don't think they're going to get an offer that would be worthy of giving up the number one pick. So I don't think it's something we have to actually worry about. However, if they do get a, a deal similar to what you're talking about, you know, it's kind of like the, the Saints-Ricky Williams deal. Right. If you get something that crazy, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I almost think the Bengals can't do it. Really? I, and you know, I mean, I was deep Can't into- do it? Can't do it. I was deep into the college football season this year, still saying that I would take Chase Young over Joe Burrow, that I didn't think Joe Burrow uh, was was heads and shoulders above the rest of the field like everybody else did, and I didn't think he was a slam dunk NFL quarterback. How late were we into the tank for Tua mode, though? Pretty late in the college football, probably until he got hurt, right? Yeah, sure, but I, but that's what I'm saying. Like, this is my point. For we're talking about Joe Burrow right now at the number one pick, and and him being the obvious number one overall. I was not sold on Joe Burrow really until the postseason. I mean, and then he just went nuts and put on a display like we've really never seen in the sport. I mean, it's it was maybe even more impressive than like the Vince Young year. You know, when you obviously had the national championship game, you didn't have the full playoff, but. I mean, it was just a, an incredible display. After that point, the fever pitch for Joe Burrow in this city has reached such ridiculous heights. I don't think there's any way the Bengals cannot take him just because of the possibility that it's the Blazers not taking Jordan. Like, at this point, if you don't take <laughs> Joe Burrow with all the hype in this city surrounding it, and he becomes the next Peyton Manning, then you know the next surefire the obvious NFL star quarterback. What? What? This? City, I would tell you. It might I would finally. You. It might be finally what this city needs to divorce itself from the Bengals and the Browns because I I just do not see them doing anything shy of setting the entire city on fire. Based on history, though, at least in the last two decades, based on history, you have that guy chance to be Alex Smith more than you have him to be totally Cam Newton. Totally agree. I, and that's I am, where I'm taking other parts on top of it because I'm still in rebuild mode. So this year, if I can get – again, I'm just going to do this as the Bengals. Let's say they, they have very minimal separation in their evaluation of Burrow, 
Tua and Justin Herbert. Again, I'm I'm surmising here, but let's just go with this scenario that I don't think there's a large separation between the three. I have Drew. I yeah, don't like we, Herbert at all. Yeah, but hear me out. This is they loved him during the Senior Bowl. I, they they openly loved him. Um, if there's not a big separation, yeah, Burrow's one, two is two, Herbert's three, but there's not a huge separation. And I can get a linebacker with that 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 18th overall pick that can come in and start from day one. And then I get an extra pick in the top 40. I'm going to get two of the top seven picks in round two, and I can maybe address um, wide receiver when I'm going to lose probably A.J. Green after this year, and I may lose John Ross after this year, and I'm going to get a, a, a surefire guy there. And I can address another position just for fun with another second-round pick that can come in and play right away. That's a pretty good haul to me, man, just to give up that first overall pick for a guy, again, where history shows us it is not a slam dunk. That guy's taking you to the Super Bowl and or winning the Super Bowl. Skinny, you're, you're not hearing me. I agree with you. Oh, I know that. I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm answering it, though. The, the logical take is that you absolutely do the deal. And I would say I'm probably less sold on Joe Burrow being a star in the NFL than just about anyone in this city right now. Like, I am not over the moon about Joe Burrow is going to be awesome. Like I know the the pitfalls of the number one pick and the, the probabilities of that guy always being a superstar aren't that great. However, he did put on the show that makes you say he's the, clearly the best guy available at the end of the year. He proved it. And what's ensued since then in this city in terms of the hype and the buzz is just so significant that you cannot no take the chance as an organization that he ends up being a star and you didn't take him when he was right there for you no, and I, everyone assumed you were going to do it. It's just the Bengals, yeah, try, I get the Bengals always trying to yeah. outsmart the rest of the league has always been kind of this narrative, and whether it's right or not is up for debate. But you do that, and it just solidifies like you are always trying to outsmart the rest of the league while simultaneously being the biggest idiot in the room. I, I think you outsmart the rest of the league by taking the deal, but I, I know what you're saying because there is no question that that if Joe Burrow is not a Bengals quarterback and he goes on to star with another team, you will, lose, you, you will lose what already is an eroding fan base. You really and truly will. And even though I think that would still be the sound football decision, I know exactly what you're saying because that is the safe play now. That is the... Here's what all you guys wanted. You guys wanted us to spend in free agency. We just did that. Whether these guys work out or not, I don't know, but we just did that because you demanded of us, and we needed to do it, and we did it. And you've demanded of us to take Joe Burrow, and we did it. And if it fails, well, we did what you asked. Exactly and that's right. where I, I would turn this on the fan base. Listen, if they draft Joe Burrow and he's a failure and, and you look at some of those other guys five years from now, well, then I guess shame on all of us for, for, for not letting them do their job, but at the same time, shame on them for not doing their job properly for 30 years. So I, I get it. Right. But if you're the Bengals, you can say we did it the right way. We did what everyone told us we should do, and it still didn't work out. And that's the right. way at this point that they have to play it. They don't have that's any other options. That's the safe play, no doubt. It is. All right, Skitty. Now it's time for our favorite new segment of the podcast, Ask Skinny Anything. Are you ready? Well, I'm ready, I we, think. We've got some good ones in here today. And this came in legitimately three different times within the last 24 hours. It Uh-oh. is, when does summertime short pants season officially begin in the Skinner household? And what is, and, and a, a second one on that is, what is your opinion on cargo shorts? No, I never, never cargo shorts. Never, never. It's, it's a terrible look. You, you look like a clown. Don't, don't wear cargo shorts. Were you Nobody. Ever a fan of the cargo shorts? Did you ever do the nope. cargos? Nope. Never, never, ever. I thought you, you. I don't, 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a bad look. You just you look you look like you should be on on uh, the Joe Exotic show for goodness sakes if you're wearing those things. Um, uh, believe it or not, I've got summertime short pants on right now as we speak in the house, Rick, and, oh, I and I'm going to do some yard work in 60 degree weather. I, I had sweats on the last couple of days because it was cold, as you know. It got you know high 40s, 50s. So I was out in sweat in a sweatshirt and sweatpants doing some yard work today. I, I think 60 degrees is a good line of demarcation for summertime short pants. I think you can feel comfortable. You may have to put a pullover on occasionally if there's a breeze, but 60 degrees is a good line of demarcation for summertime short pants. So you don't have a certain like date for it of. No date. Just usually it's a temperature guideline. I could probably even, after I'm used to, I could even dip to 55 as long as it's not a breezy 55 or, you know, the wind, it starts to get a little bit of wind chill. I, 55 to 60 is a good line of demarcation for summertime. A good sunny day, like we're doing this podcast on Thursday. It's a beautiful day outside. I think the temperature is supposed to reach 62. With, with you out in the sun, it'll feel a little bit warmer than that. That is that is that is a perfect starting point for summertime short pants. I guess you could argue that, that really I haven't pulled them out until April. We're now on April, whatever this day is, second or third. So I guess the line of demarcation is kind of April, but I've pulled them out in, in, in March before when you get those occasional 65, 70-degree days. It's it's more of a temperature line of demarcation, Rick, than, than a date. Uh, see, I'm a little bit different on that. To me, it's not about the temperature as much because, like you said, I mean, if it's 55, a little sun out, and I've already been wearing the shorts, I'm going to keep them on at that point. To me, it's more of a... Whenever I feel we're finally over the hump, you know, whenever I feel like it's finally going to stay warm, we're not going back to 42 as our high at, at any point. You know, it's going to be above 50 the rest of the way. We're into actual springtime. That's when I, think I we're close. It, well, we're definitely close. We're right on the precipitous. Like I, it's possible I bust them out this weekend because I see going into next week we're like all 60s and 70s. So oh yeah, oh yeah. If you don't bust them out by then, then then honestly you you're behind the time. I haven't it's, yet, it's, but once yeah. I bust them out, they don't go back. Like I don't go back to jeans once I'm in summertime short pants mode. I stick to yeah, summertime I, short I, pants I, the rest of the way, deep into fall, baby. <laughs> It would be. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I don't think uh, you know. I'm I'm usually I, I'm I'm either sweatpants or summertime short pants. You're it's, never a jeans guy. That's no, or slacks. I mean, slacks if I have to dress up. Um, yeah, I, I I think for me, I think I've turned the. I think I've turned that line, Rick. I think I'm at that stage of it's summertime short pants. I ride or die with them until it gets cold. Yeah, this is the great time of year for you though, because you can combine your favorite fall attire, the the quarter zip. When yes, excited when it becomes quarter zip season again with. Your favorite spring summer attire, the summertime short pants. Well, because as you know, you can always take the the three quarter zip off if it gets a little warm, right? I mean, you can you can always come back off, and then it gets cool again. You put it right back on. It's it's a it's a very it's a very valuable piece, no doubt. Yeah. All right, skinny. If my dream came true and the charge was eliminated from basketball, what rule change would you make? Uh, and by the way, it was pointed out you can't bring the charge back. Like that can't be your answer. <laughs> um, hand checking. I, I I bring hand checking back. <laughs> I would. I I, I I think you have to have a way to eliminate letting dribblers go where dribblers want to go. I, I do. And the only way to do it is 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 if you're not going to be able to slide in front of a dribbler who gets by somebody, then you've got to be able to put your hands on them. Um, so I would ask you if I gave you the choice between the two, would you want the block charge still in the game? Or would you want hand-checking physicality to be back in the game? It's not even close. Get the charge out of the game. Out so you're, you're good with, you're with going back to hand-checking then, right? I'm fine with that, absolutely. Okay. All I right. can live with hand-checking on the perimeter. Just take away the charge. I don't mind a more physical game. That's not as much my issue. The charge is just so bad. It's officiated so poorly. 
Oh, there's no question about that. I, I, it's what's one of my pet peeves in, in, in the level I coach at, where a lot of times, even, you know, when the captains and the coaches go out to meet, I usually tell the officials, my guys will take a charge. So please be on the lookout for it. And invariably it gets called wrong. And I, the ones I get from, from most of these guys is coach, he started falling backwards early. No, he didn't. You no, he did not. He fell backwards when he got a hit. Okay. It sounds like the officials at the, uh, freshman level in Northern Kentucky are doing a good job calling blocks like they should be. Yeah, no, they, they don't know how to call it. 95% of the time it's a block. Mm, yeah, I'll give you 8% of the time it's a block. But I, it's a good question. I'm going back to, if you want to do that, um, uh, you give me you give me the hand check back, I'm okay with that. Okay. I, I'm, I'm down to make that trade for certain. All right, this one I think uh, came from our guy Dave Slater in the uh, newsroom at yes. the Tall 12. He asks, what's your musical window? He says, genre, subgenre, or era, whatever you prefer there. I've got a lot of them. You uh, are very eclectic with your musical taste. Yeah, you, you know, I can do some do some rap. I can I, I listen to some of the hardcore stuff that the Bengals players play in the locker room, and I don't mind it. Um, it doesn't offend me. Um, I like the beat usually. See, but here's uh, the thing. Like, some old people say that, but they say it, and they're, you know, like, they don't really mean it. They mean, you like, know I mean it. You know I actually mean it, though. So, so here's the thing. I was going to follow that up with. The first time I, I think I ever got in your car to go somewhere, it was like a mixtape. Like you would make back in the day yes. when uh, yes. burning CDs was a thing yes. and downloading individual songs. And it had like uh, Ja Rule and 50 Cent and um, Big Timers. My- and my, friend, my friend Matt Ketron, who I worked at Turfway Park with, made me multiple uh, multiple ones of those. Yeah, so like this was legitimately what was rolling around in your CD player and your disc changer at the time. So you you legitimately do listen to like just normal rap music. I do, but I can also go back to '80s rock. Um, I'm a huge Rolling Stones fan. I uh, I was a big Cars fan in the late '70s, early '80s. Not a big pop guy. I can do some country. It's got it's very minimal. It's it's got to it's got to be more of kind of crossoverish country stuff um and believe it or not um my dad was a huge jazz fan and growing up and some of it is you remember things growing up right like your dad taking it a little league practice or picking you up from a high school game whatever and, and my dad listened to to uh, he grew up in a jazz era and so WNOP in Newport, which is now a Christian station, or I think Catholic station, 740 on the AM dial, that was invariably on in our car. My dad had, my dad had a huge, and in fact, I've, I've got his collection. He, he had a huge collection of jazz records, and um, PBS has been doing the Ken Burns documentary, Jazz, um, and obviously with trying to find something to watch, flipping through, I've really enjoyed that. I didn't like that music a ton then. I like some of it, but... I always told my dad, this is what my dad would always tell me, right? Our dads always say this about our music. It all sounds the same. And I used to tell him, this crap all sounds the same, dad. And he would try to give me the nuances. And when you're 13 years old, you don't care. You just don't want to listen to your dad's crap, right? You want to listen to your stuff. Right. Uh, and he, you know, I'm kind of like him now. When, it's, when you're in my car, it's my radio or it's my play deck. It's whatever. So you're going to listen to what I'm going to listen to. Um, I foisted that on my kids who wanted to listen to uh, to pop. And they would have to listen to, to, they'd have to listen to some rap on the way to school. And they kind of actually started to like it a little bit so anyway um i've started to like that a little bit so I, i've got some eclectic music taste for sure w-n-o-p newports christian station bringing you all of your liturgical bangers <laughs> back in the day though man it was the jazz arc w-n-o-p oh, that's loved it that sounds incredible yes all right uh if you could be one character from any tv show or movie in real life who would you choose Ooh. Man, that's a good one. It is that a good is a one. That's a good question, but the problem is you probably need time to think about it. I do. 
Um, I'm trying to think of some favorite movies. Kind of like John Winger in Stripes. I like anything Bill Murray did here's back, the, in, back in the genre. Here's the problem about this question. Like, you start thinking about your favorite shows and your favorite movies, and you obviously your mind goes to, like, some badass characters and stuff. But, yeah, most, just, but most of those people have, ter- like, huge issues going on in those movies. Right? Like, they have a very oh, yeah. stressful life, or they have to fight crime or something. Like, I'm not down for all of that. I don't want any of that stuff. I, I gotta say, though, man, James Bond was a dude. Right? For sure. Oh, I mean, like, there's so many out there, so many badasses that you'd like to say, oh, I'd like to be like him. But when it comes down to it, like, man, drug running a drug cartel would be hard. Difficult, yeah. Um, James Bond was a dude. James Bond, James Bond's up there because the thing is, he kept surviving all the, the attempts on his life, right? And then, I mean, my goodness gracious, the dude did... He 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 did some business for three plus decades with some good looking women. I gotta give thumbs up to James. James, I'm gonna go James Bond. Congrats that's it. on that's, the that's coitus, the, James. That's it. James Bond. Bond. James Bond. Um, I'm gonna go. This is a little off the beaten path here, but I thought about this one a little bit as I was typing it out. Um, I'm gonna go with Edward Mora. Do you know who that is? The news. The the newsman. He was a writer in the Ed, movie. Ed, Ed Morrow. Mora, okay, no, I don't know. From nope, a movie, don't know him. and okay, turned, was turned into a TV show, Limitless. Do you ever see that? I did not see that. So it's about he's he's a writer and he gets introduced into a drug that basically you know they say that like we only access ten percent of our brain or whatever. It allows you to access the rest of your brain. So he had like just incredible power and uh, you know potential because he could outthink everybody. Um, that seemed like a a good way to go about life. You know, like, he, he, he got kind of stressful for him, but I feel like you could play that out if you knew what to expect ahead of time. You could play that one out to, to your benefit and uh, make a lot of money and have a really easy lifestyle if you could just outthink everybody. Yes, yeah, you know, you're going to make me Google that when we're done with this podcast. I, I, I don't remember the show. I really I like, don't. I like the movie a lot. The show, okay. I don't think, was that good. I watched a couple episodes. Um, I don't think it did very well. But the, the movie, I really enjoyed. I always pretend. Do you remember the show Vegas back in like the the mid two thousands? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I I liked uh, I liked the Josh Duhamel character for multiple reasons. That back then I was working at Turfway Park and I used to I used to think it was cool. We'd look at surveillance cameras like they did and we try to <laughs> try to figure out. So I always thought I was kind of him, and, and and he also had Monty <laughs> Sims on the side too. So that wasn't that wasn't a bad character either. <laughs> right, that's that's a good one. All right, Skinny, everyone knows that sports writers turn into the most disgusting beasts on earth around the pregame spread. What is the most repulsive act you've ever seen a media person commit in pursuit of a free meal? Um, You know, it's funny. Most of them are, are, are pretty good about it, to be honest with you. No, I, most I think, of them are, but there is most, like a, a 5% rule. In yeah, and, and, and I can't give you a specific, but there's always a guy where you look and, and, and he, he, he does have a few pounds too many and he is going to make sure that that free meal is going to be the greatest meal of his life. And it's almost like... Dude, seriously, this is more because you don't have time to eat. It's it's really a nice gesture on there. But I, I know some people that get really angry when there's not a spread put out. I'm I'm not among them. It's almost yeah. like it's a courtesy, and I feel glad. I mean, honestly, I you know covering the NFL, obviously th- those teams for the most part put out good spreads. Jacksonville aside, with their pimento cheese sandwich and a bag of chips, it's kind of silly. Um, but most of them put out a pretty good pretty good spread, and I always feel feel it's it's always good for me. Honestly, it's really helpful on a Sunday because literally you get to a stadium at ten o'clock. You're not out of the stadium until eight or nine o'clock at night for the most part, and usually that's the only meal of the day. I mean, you may go grab a beer and a burger if you have time after you're you're off, but for the most part, that's it. So I always do.
do appreciate that um, for the most part. The but crispy yet, bacon. The go oh, the crispy bacon, man. The, uh, it 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 is it is the, the, man. If 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 NFL stadiums, the, the Bengals don't do a whole lot right with the food. They do some things right, but man, the bacon on Sundays is top freaking notch i mean you could make a whole meal of a bacon and a salad um there but yeah there's always that that one or two guys where you look and you go seriously dude you got stuff going down your chin now can you at least use a napkin did you lose do you have some manners somehow some way so yeah no i think for the most part i think you'd agree i mean i think most most not all most media members get it that hey this is nice thank you it's something to nosh on very quickly Uh, you know i i i I like the fact that there's the drink there that you can get a drink and, and all that and don't have to hassle with anything i I, I, I'm not sure I've seen one instance where I, I, I've, I've looked and there's one I can pick out, but there's always that guy. Yeah, I can't think of a good specific example of this. I know things have happened over the years where we've just been like, ah, oh, come on, guy. <laughs> um, but, like that happens. I know. Yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's that come on guy. Yeah, there's always like 5% of them are just grotesque and, and don't get what's going on around them, obviously. Um, but there are, I think there's more of the, uh, the just like you said sort of uh that 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 guy's kind of kind of gross just in general not so much that he's doing anything um specific this one time or there's like some terrible thing that he did but they almost wanted to look did they put napkins at the end of the line for a reason use one yeah please. right they're dripping stuff all over themselves that type of deal um the other thing that i'm always shocked by is how how I guess the lengths people will go to to get their free meal or like they feel like you said like they're entitled to it they're mad if it's not there for them and it's like the biggest deal in the world that they get something for free out of this experience and it's like my guy the the six inch sub sandwich that's been sitting out all day really isn't that big of a deal it wasn't going to change your day Exactly. Exactly. The hot dog. The hot dog that they left behind. No. The couple of chicken fingers. No. It's. It is. It's. I, I think it. For me, at least, it's a nice. I always think it's a nice gesture. I mean, literally, the only place that's a that, that really is awful is Jacksonville. It's. It's embarrassingly bad. But look, at the end of the day, you know what? I'll eat my pimento cheese sandwich, and my bag of chips, and then I'll go get a meal after the, after I'm done working. I'll, I'll. I will live. I promise you. And if I if I really need to, you know what? I can walk my ass down to the concession stand and get a hot dog or a hamburger if I really had to. I'll survive without. Do you have a uh, a better specific? story off the top of your head of just poor uh poor behavior in a, in a media room by a media member no i no for the most part because i hang around with the, with the same group usually and we kind of sit and have the meal together it's 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 usually a time that you get a chance to to, to do a bunch of gags and, and have a meal at the same time so no i, I don't I, th- I think most people are pretty respectful that that, that I, I i look they, they they sit in their little their little groups time to chat people up have a little conversation maybe a, a guy from out of town you haven't seen in a while you get a chance to sit with and talk so um wasn't no there, the, wasn't there an incident at the jet stadium a year or two ago Oh, that was that was not with food service. That was with no, no, uh, no. I'm not talking about with food. I'm just saying, was there anything in general that's happened in a media room with a media member that you can think of? Well, there, there was with me, as you may know. Um, it, it it was actually a, a Giants Bengals Monday night game, where uh, my man decides we're still there's probably 15 of us working in there, and my my man decides at 1:30 in the morning on a Monday night game where. You know, most of us are going to probably be right until three or four in the morning. And I was planning on staying there and I had a seven o'clock flight to catch out of Newark. So I thought I'll just work from here, get my work done, take my rental car back, get to the airport by about five thirty, hop on my flight, head home. I'll, I'll, I'll be OK. Well, he he starts to shut the lights off and then says, how much longer are you guys going to be? And I think we said something initially and he walked back by and then he sighed. And I just, I let him have it. I just simply said, I don't want to be here any more than you do, bub. Shut the blank up and let us finish our job. 
Well, then he tries. He goes, where are you from? What's your name? I told him exactly who I was. I said, you can call my boss. You can call anybody. We're here working. I said, if you don't like your job, I said, get somebody else up here to do it, but we're going to finish our job. And all of a sudden, people started packing up and leaving. Finally, I packed up and left. I said, I said, hey, do you even know what we're trying to do down here? He said, oh, I don't know. I want to take you guys to do your job. I said, that's not for you to determine, pal. And off we went. I went to the airport early, did my job at the airport. I haven't seen my man since. The Bengals have not been back there since. I'm looking forward to seeing him again. I can't wait. Please uh, update us on that. So I think I did threaten to kick his ass, I believe. Oh, that's always that's good. Probably, yeah, that probably wasn't good. Yeah, that don't, I think those are threats at that point yeah uh, all right but this that's a perfect segue into our final question and uh this is a bit of a doozy skinny if you had to choose a felony to commit which one would it be and hold on for a second here are the stipulations for this scenario okay. you have to commit the crime or your family dies so there's no way out like you just have to do it also you know for a fact you won't get caught so there's no concern about going to jail so that's not to like i guess that's to keep you from choosing a crime that's like easier to get away with you know what i mean like you're gonna get away with it no matter what so you just have to pick like what crime free of consequence would you choose to commit if you had to commit a major crime dude i'd hijack a brinks truck tomorrow i mean it's pretty simple i mean just go in there point the gun at the guy get out it's my truck i take it i get away i'm getting away with it right yeah oh yeah you're getting away with it the brinks truck yeah the brinks truck i'm hijacking the brinks truck i feel like that was really easy for you yeah, it wasn't hard. I mean, that one wasn't difficult. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I'm not going to shoot anybody. I don't, I don't want anybody to get harmed. But if I'm getting away with it, I'm getting away with money. I'm going to take money of some kind, right? right? I mean, I guess if we want to take the nth degree, I'll go rob some of the gold from Fort Knox if I'm going to get away with it. So I just looked it up, and I now that I think about this, Googling it. Probably- and by the way, Brink, Brinks people, hang on, just just, just as a disclaimer, I'm, I'm not – going to rob any Brinks truck, just, just in case you want Just to be clear, this is purely a hypothetical <laughs> question asked to me sure, on Twitter. Purely hypothetical. Um, it, so I just looked it up, and I realize now looking this up on Google probably puts me on some type of list. That wasn't very smart to do. Uh, That's correct. A pallet can hold 100 racks or $100 million, and your standard-issued armored truck can transport between four and six pallets. So up to $400, 600000000 that's not a bad little uh, getaway if you get it while it's full. There you go. I I, I, I I think I've hit on it. That that to me is pretty simple. I take that and I go to an island somewhere and you never see me again. That's, I mean, that's kind of hard to argue with, honestly. Uh, what, what are you at? Do you, did you, do you have one? Because I'm guessing you got a chance to at least stew on this question a little bit. You know, I didn't really think about it a whole lot. Um, I was more interested in hearing what you would say. And now that you bring that up, that does seem kind of easy just to do it one time, get in, get out, and uh, have tons of money. I know I just said a little bit ago that uh, running a drug cartel seems hard, but if I had no fear of getting caught, I mean, I guess I'd have the fear of getting shot and killed, maybe. That, yeah, I mean, by, by your own people, too. See, that's the thing. They can turn on you. Yeah, that's not good. But, like, Narcos does look kind of fun sometimes, you know? Like, when you watch some of these shows, um, Breaking Bad, Narcos, things like that, it does, like, occasionally all- I do want to be a drug dealer. Uh, but, but here's the thing. They always get it in the end. All of them, they always get it in the end. Yeah. Yeah, you're they right do. They all, again, they always get in the end. They, yeah, you're, you're right. If you get away with it, but even if you got away with that, your your boys are going to turn on you. I think there That's are just, just what they do. You you are right about that. I think there are some people that are going to be surprised that you didn't say like manslaughter or something. No, I don't. I don't. I don't want to kill somebody. That's good to hear. I, but I think there are some people that are based on some of your previous road rage stories and the like that you wouldn't take this opportunity just to unleash on. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't like a lot of people, Rick. As you know, <laughs> I, I, I do know that. 
people tend to bother me. But I don't want to kill them. I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't want that. I'll, I'm going for the stick up the brain grab. I'm going for the money grab. Again, if I'm getting away with it, no one got hurt. I just asked the guy politely, sir, please get out of this brink truck because in my hypothetical thing, I get away with this. If you'll step aside, I'll take the truck now and, and have a good day. Count to 100 and let me go. Um, but I'm getting away with it, so it doesn't really matter. If I can get away with it, that's fine. I mean, there's no really not, I don't. Yeah, the drug cartel one's an interesting one because it would be a crazy lifestyle. But again, I'm always looking over my shoulder at my bullets. Somebody, somebody wants the throne, man, right? Actually, wants the throne. actually, I take it back. I want to bribe college coaches and amateur athletes like Christian Dawkins because he's a convicted felon now. You know what you need, though? You'll need my Brinks money to do it. Yeah, you're right about that. No, the, I think you win. I think the Brinks truck is the right answer. All right, good stuff. Well, that's all we got. Those questions coming. We love them. All right, Rick, thanks a lot. Appreciate everybody for listening. We'll be back again next week uh, with another podcast. Stay safe. Keep your social distancing. Hopefully in another two month, two weeks or so, maybe four weeks, we can start coming on the other side of this and start thinking a lot about sports again. Uh, but, again, stay safe and, and do what they're telling you to do. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. <laughs>